Hey everyone, Zach here. Before we dive into today's conversation, I wanna make you guys aware of a really awesome event that is actually happening today. Today, which is Thursday, June 18th. And uh, this event is being put on by Element 451 and it's a webinar on tracking enrollment anomalies. You know, this year has totally disrupted many of our school's baseline metrics. And this summer is a really important time to regroup, to analyze your enrollment data, and think critically about what changes you need to make from a strategic enrollment marketing standpoint for academic year 2021. Um, Again, this is a crazy moment for for all of us. Um, Some of us are certainly more impacted than than others, but this uh, webinar, again, on tracking enrollment anomalies, which is today at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this this event will help equip you and your team with the tools that you need to garner more meaningful insights from your prospect, applicant, and enrollment data. Uh, The team there is really awesome. You can register for this event by going to element451.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that is element451.com forward slash enrollify. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Buzicruz and I am the host of today's episode. And today I have the honor of speaking with Matt Diddlegen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Glacier. Welcome to the show, Matt. Zach, thanks. Great to be here. Really excited to be on the show. I'm really excited to, that we've finally found some time to chat. Uh, Matt and I have, for, for our listeners' context, have been trying to get in touch to do a show for several months now, and uh, for lots of reasons, it just didn't happen. So uh, I'm, I'm proud and excited to, to finally be uh, speaking with you today. Matt, can you just start by giving us a, a sort of rough elevator pitch for for Glacier. What is it? Uh, you know, we'll get into your origin story and sort of of um, your kind of career today in just a moment. But can you just start by giving us sort of the 30,000 foot overview of, of who and what Glacier is? Sure. Yeah. So Glacier, we are the leaders in high school and student advertising. So we have the largest uh, ad network of in high school advertising across the country. And then we also have the largest student influencer network across the country. And we are uh, constantly innovating and we're leading with our digital strategies in the industry since all we do is focus on high school students. So that's, that's really what we do. And we, we uh, you know, a natural fit and vertical for us is higher education because high school students are such an important demographic for higher ed. So we work with over 150 universities and colleges uh, to help them with their marketing goals and to build uh, awareness, engagement, conversion with a high school demographic. Now, that's fantastic. I, I appreciate that. Can you give us a little bit of sense of, you're a co-founder, what inspired you to start Glacier? What's what's sort of a, the backstory of how you guys, uh, you know, how you uh, presumably went from some idea and sort of birthed that into action? Yeah, absolutely. So my my co-founder and myself, um, his name is Pat. He's actually still one of my best friends, even though I, I, I bought him out of the company a couple of years ago. I actually just had dinner with him last night. Um, we, we started the company back in 2013. It was our last year of university. 
And him and I had both wanted to start a company together. And, you know, we were two young, scrappy students, um, more brawn than brains. And we, we had seen all of these ads around campus, uh, on our university campus, on walls and in the bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, you know, that's a really good idea. We, we, we figured we could probably get it started with next to no money because we were poor students at the time and had no money. Um, so we decided, why don't we try an advertising media company? And we figured, you know, there was a, a ton of competition in the space already on the university and college campuses. So we thought, why don't we give this a shot in high school? Because no one's really doing it in high schools. Uh, and then, and then Pat and I had the conversation about, well, this is a really impressionable demographic and we have to, be very responsible in what we advertise. Sure. So what would be a good natural fit? And that's, that's been one of our core values since day one is do the right thing. And we always believe in only advertising things to kids that are genuinely good for them in the long term. And so just a natural fit with that was higher education. So we just picked up the phone and cold called every university and college in our province and then picked up the phone and cold called every high school principal in our city. And we got a few to say yes. And they started advertising on the walls in high schools. They got really great results. So then we scaled that product all across Canada. Uh, and we kept getting more and more universities, colleges signing on with us because it was innovative and new and no one was really advertising in high schools. And then we had this other idea to partner with high school student influencers and start promoting the different universities and colleges in their high school on their own social media. And then we started doing digital advertising and then we started expanding to the states uh, a few years ago. And now we're in over 30 states uh, all across the U.S. advertising for 150 plus colleges, universities all across Canada and the USA. So that's kind of the, the story in a nutshell. Obviously, there's a lot more twists and turns and bumps and bruises along <laughs> the way, but I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the details. No, I, I appreciate that context. And um, that's, that's fantastic. You guys have, have grown pretty, pretty remarkably in a, in a, uh, a relatively short period of time. Um, help me understand a little bit, uh, just, just quickly. What did you have a, a background in, in ad copy? Were you sort of, have you always been interested in advertising? Like why, like I, I get you and your buddy want to start a company, but why, why advertising and why specifically advertising to, to, uh, high school students? I had, yeah, we had, we had zero background in advertising or, or marketing whatsoever. We were, we were university students at the time. I mean, I did have, uh, I did start up another company. It was a real estate technology company, but, um, that flopped and failed, uh, as, as many entrepreneurs have, have, uh, early failures early on, but we had no background. It was, it was honestly because we, we looked at this and, you know, one of, one of our products, which is the high school wall ads, uh, we looked at it and it was honestly more of a discussion about, what is a company that we could start with almost no startup capital, which has pretty good margins? <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> that, was, that was kind of the conversation. And I mean, uh, what, what I love about advertising and media is, is just the power that it has. Yeah. It, it's really, you know, like you're really programming people's brains. And I've always been fascinated by that and intrigued by it. And, and even more so, I think, I think advertisers and media, they have such a important duty to make sure that what they're doing is actually good. And the, the the messages and everything that they're crafting is, is genuinely ethical and good. So that's that's always been my particular fascination with advertising and, and you know media more generally is just the impact that it can have on society. I mean the the kinds of campaigns that we're also doing around 
mental health awareness and, and we're doing some stuff around, um, you know, anti-tobacco and all that kind of stuff. Like it's super powerful stuff. So that's what continues to, to drive my passion and my fuel. I love it. I love it. It's, you know, like the 2020 version of, uh, of Don Draper, um, which is, which is awesome. Um, so help me and last kind of just clarifying question about Glacier itself. Are you guys like, are you guys doing the actual, uh, creative for the colleges and universities that are partnering with you? Or are you guys acting more as just the, the middleman sort of, sort of like the marketplace? We do produce creative for clients that want help with it because, you know, we do understand this audience uh, better than better than our clients do because it's what we do every single day. Uh, our, a lot of our clients do provide their own creative, but we give them a lot of strategic advice. Uh, most of the creative that we do create for them comes from our, our micro-influencer network, our student influencers. They work with us to produce content on behalf of uh, the brand, and then we either, you know, boost it or we repurpose it and use it in, our, in their own paid channels. Um, so we do some of the content creation, but uh, for the most part, we we are just kind of the media company. Got it. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's so much we could talk about today. Um, and I, again, first met uh, some of your team members at the AMA Higher Ed Symposium this last fall and was really impressed by what you all are are, are doing. But I want to I wanna focus our conversation today uh, around the media consumption behavior of of Gen Z, specifically with respect to college and university marketing communications. Uh, you guys are gearing up to launch a new 2020 Gen Z media report. I stumbled upon the 2019 uh, media report and was and was impressed by some of your all's findings. So I'm hoping that you'll start and we can have a conversation that will essentially be you giving us a little bit of a behind the scenes look at some of your all's uh, findings um, that are detailed in this report. Could you start by giving us sort of just a high-level overview on the channels and the messaging that resonates most with with this audience? And again, this audience being Gen Z. Sure. Yeah. We so yeah we started doing so we, the the white paper we we survey. Uh, I think this year was about fifteen hundred high school students all across uh, Canada. So it is a Canadian um, white paper, but um, we also did focus groups with American high school students as well. And uh, a lot of the findings I think are very similar and static across Canada and the U S. Um, but some of the, some of the findings as we'll, we'll get into are quite fascinating. Um, so just starting, I guess, with the ad recall percentages and numbers, uh, this, these are ones that I'm always the most interested to see, uh, which is basically we ask, you know, where, where have you seen ads on what platforms um, or where have you seen higher education ads? And, and so it measures the recall and the, the ones that performed the best this year, again, same as last year, no, no, not really a surprise is social media. Um, in second with 66%, uh, with ad recall. And then interestingly, uh, is the second place was just, just like, like our high school wall ads or even just posters in high schools, with huh. 57%. Uh, and then, the third was ad on a website. So basically, you know, your digital display ads at 44%. Um, and then, and then after that, it, there's a steep drop off from the down to billboard ads at 19%, TV ads, 17%, radio ads, 12%, uh, Spotify, 11%. So basically the top three are social media ads or posters on walls in high schools, and then ads on websites. 
Um, but what is what is fascinating is that uh, with the ad or poster in high school, is they do perform better than the ads on websites so digital display. Um, and so what we've always been telling clients and, you know, why we continue to invest in our product, which is the high school wall ads is, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be buying traditional ads, the best one to buy by far. I mean, I know I'm, I'm sounding biased, but the, <laughs> the data also shows that it shows the, it shows the, the story that the best traditional performing channel is definitely still putting up a, a poster and ad on a wall in a high school. But what's, what's an interesting thing, this will be a behind the scenes thing for you, Zach, uh, that we don't say in the white paper because, you know, we just can't give all the details. Um, but cause we used, we used our high school influencers to distribute the survey. And we know that in half of the influencers that distributed the survey, only half of them actually have ads on their walls in the high schools that we work with. So like this, this number is probably understated. Yeah. And what that actually, what we think that means is that it's probably those little eight and a half by 11 posters that universities are putting up on the bulletin boards. Like kids are still seeing those. Yeah. Um, so that, that's always been a shocking one for us uh, is, is how well that's performing. I mean, when we started doing this, we were a little nervous. We we're like, what happens if, you know, the, the high school wall ads don't perform well? <laughs> uh, like we're going to have to cut that product. And we're like, okay, no, they're still working. <laughs> um, so that's been, that's been a, a fascinating story. But um, what's even more interesting. Uh, so yeah, the, the general takeaway from that is, is, you know, traditional media is waning, uh, aside from perhaps the, the in-school posters and wall ads. Um, but I mean, the, the biggest shocker, well, not really a shock, but, uh, it is crazy to see the numbers is just the, the massive influx of TikTok and how the wave of TikTok is just taking over social. Hmm. Uh, you know, like the, if you look at the daily usage stats this year, TikTok is used uh, on a daily basis by 72% of kids, it, it has surpassed YouTube. You, wow. YouTube is only at 61%. I mean, TikTok wasn't even in our survey last year. That just, that just goes to show how fast TikTok has, has taken the high school student by like, it's just a wave. And, um, and, and so that's been really fascinating. Um, and we, we've started you know, inquiring like where, where is this market share coming from? Like how is TikTok like, cause you know, there's really only two options. Either kids are just spending more time on their phones and, and they're taking time out of their day to spend on TikTok, which we think is probably part of the answer because TikTok is just super addicting. Their AI is so good <laughs> uh, that, that, you know, you, you open TikTok and you're gone down a TikTok hole for half an hour before you even realize what's going on. Um, but we also think that, it's probably stealing market share because TikTok is, is really the kids use it for entertainment. They, they go to their, you know, if they, they want to be entertained and consume content. That's why they're going to TikTok. So we think it's taking away from uh, places like Instagram and YouTube where they're actually going to consume content. Um, so yeah, that's been, that's been another fascinating finding. Um, and in terms of, cause you asked about, what messaging also resonates? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, actually, Matt, so, Matt, let me ask a, or let me just yeah. make a quick point to you that I think is a, a, a there's so much gold in what you were just sharing. Um, and sure. the thing that actually stood out to me 
most was what you were saying about from an, from an ad recall standpoint, right? Like the channels being display, being, you know, walking down your, your, the high school, uh, you know, cafeteria, the high school hallways, right? The, the ads there, the, mm-hmm. the posters, right? Like those particular channels and, um, and, and ad, you know, ad spots, right. Are, uh, th- that, that students recall the most that recall seeing higher education institutions the most from are also right. Like, one of the some of the more affordable slash arguably the most affordable channels to be playing in as an institution, whereas like the Spotify's, the TV's, the billboards, right, from an ad recall standpoint, are the most expensive and they're they're recalled the least. So, anyways, I just wanted to, to point mm-hmm. that out too because that's fascinating. And, and as people are thinking about like ad spend, I, there still is so much temptation to spend w- when it comes to traditional media on things like I mean we get we get questions and I'll uh you've already touched on this but we get questions a lot on like Spotify and Pandora and like should we be advertising there um and so it's interesting at least based off of you know this this particular survey how that's it's extremely expensive to to pay to play in in that space um and from a mm-hmm. recall standpoint at least by your data it's one of the least recalled vehicles through which channels through which uh students recall advertising so anyways just wanted to to uh circle back on that but but yeah go ahead and and, and talk about messaging yeah and, and actually to to touch on the spotify pandora because we after we had got the white paper data back we then went and did focus groups with high school students across the u.s and we asked them that question why are you not recalling spotify ads you know because we do have a lot of clients that advertise on Spotify and Pandora. So we know that they're there. And so we asked them, why, like, why do you think? And the, the answer was quite fascinating, actually. They said that the Spotify or Pandora, they have a really good student discount. And so a lot of kids are paying for the premium model and therefore uh, not getting ads. Yeah. Or, or a lot of them are just saying, you know, they, it's so obvious when an ad is playing that they just tune it out and don't listen. Yeah. So, so that's a, that was an interesting insight as to why, because, yeah, we were kind of shocked at how low the ad recall was for Spotify and Pandora as well. But, yeah, yeah some interesting stuff. Um, so messaging, any any particular sort of high-level yeah. thoughts on messaging? Otherwise, we can move on. Yeah, sure. So we, we think that messaging really has to – it has to match the platform. It has to match what the students are there for, like why they're actually using the platform. And so, like I said, I, I kind of alluded to earlier with TikTok, for example, kids are there to consume entertainment. So they want, they want stuff that's going to be entertaining, uh, messaging that's going to be entertaining. So this is a really great opportunity, we think, to showcase the, what makes the university unique. Uh, those videos that are showing the culture of the university, helping students understand what makes them different. Same with, same with YouTube, same with Instagram videos, or sorry, Instagram stories. All of those are really great middle of the funnel uh, platforms to get in the, the what makes the, the campus unique. Um, and then the, the platforms that work really great with awareness, that's where you know you have the in-school advertising, you have the programmatic display, um, you know, display ads on social media, everything like that. And those are really just purely the awareness, just getting just getting the brand into the minds of the student, just making sure that they know you exist. And then closer to the the bottom, the the bottom of the funnel, um, we find, you know, that's where you can get the, the, the email, the, the search engine marketing, the lead generation on different social platforms, that kind of stuff. 
And we also find uh, another fascinating find of this, um, which was very consistent with last year, was the information and the messaging that students want to see from the universities and colleges. And uh, overwhelmingly, they want program details. 82% of kids said they wanted program details. Wow. 72% said they wanted costs. And 67% said they want dates, deadlines. So we think, we think, you know, if you think about um, the funnel, like the more you get closer to the bottom, the more personalized and, and individualized the, the content needs to be. So by the time the students are in the bottom of the funnel, they're expecting to see info about the programs that they're interested in, the cost of the program they're interested in, and the dates and the deadlines and all the stuff that they want to see. So that's what they're expecting at the bottom of the funnel. Um, and the other, the other interesting thing is we did the, you know, we asked what, what are you looking for in a university? And the overwhelmingly, the, the four words that came up were inclusive, accepting, supportive, and fun. So we think that incorporating those, that kind of vibe and feel into the messaging is also going to be really important. That's really interesting. It's also interesting that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cost and or affordability uh, wasn't, wasn't one of the, at least the top four. Um, one of the one of the things uh, too that I, that is specifically interesting with respect to a desiring program information is so a lot of our we our, our listeners are about half at the undergraduate uh, on the undergraduate side of things and and the other half are our graduate enrollment managers and uh, it's been taught a lot of VPs of enrollment management and marketing talk a lot about like one of the key difference differentiators from a marketing and messaging standpoint with undergrad and grad is that undergrad you're really you're you're pushing experience right much more than you're pushing it at the graduate level typically when people are pursuing a graduate program uh, they they don't they're not coming to that school because of the football team right they're they're coming because they want to study this particular thing so it's interesting because I think that from a communication standpoint and even an advertising standpoint a lot of undergraduate institutions are hesitant to take a more programmatic, um, not programmatic advertising, but uh, but taking a more, uh, from a creative standpoint of, of promoting a particular program or group of programs. Um, they, nine times out of 10, are choosing to put budget towards the overarching experience, like the brand of the institution as a whole, more so than they are to go forward with program-specific communication. So I thought that was a fascinating uh, uh, insight that that you all uncovered as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty it's pretty clear-cut what, what the students want to see, what the information is, which is program details. 82% of them said that. So I, I, think, I think schools would be remiss if they weren't doing that, at least at the bottom of the funnel. Like, I understand if you want to do more general awareness and just university college brand awareness at the top of the funnel. But I think the, the more lower funnel messaging really has to be about program details or I think you're just going to be losing the interest of the students. Hey guys, just a quick reminder to head on over to element451.com forward slash enrollify. That's element451.com forward slash enrollify and sign up for their webinar on tracking enrollment anomalies, which is today, Thursday, June 18th at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you are unable to attend the event today, no worries. Just go ahead and sign up and they'll send you a recorded version of the webinar that you can access later. Okay, again, that's element451451.com forward slash enrollify. I, I want to know whether or not you guys have found any sort of key 
differentiators um, between the behavior of, uh, let's say, a, a high school freshman versus a, a uh, high school senior with respect to how they consume media content? Uh, any any sort of differences in, again, from a from a college and university standpoint, um, are are you guys even serving freshmen about whether or not they've seen uh, college and university advertisements? Any sort of uh, interesting kind of takeaways comparing these two these two different audiences? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We we do find it useful to split up a lot of the uh, ad recall and, and social media consumption, all those kind of stats by grade because it does change. And some of the more interesting findings that continue to happen is as students get later into their high school years, so into grade 12, uh, a much larger percentage of them have Facebook. So it seems like, and, and we know that continues into college as well, so that it seems like Facebook is still continuing to be relatively popular, you know, in that age, like grade 12 and then into college, but more as a communication tool. So that's an interesting one. And then uh, we also found that it's pretty consistent across the board with Instagram, YouTube. Those are all pretty much consistent. Uh, Snapchat does increase a little bit as, as you get into to grade 12. Um, but what what was kind of interesting too is that grade 10 and 11 seem to just be paying less attention in general to universities and colleges. I mean, it's not a huge surprise because they're a little bit farther away from the decision. So they're just a little bit less engaged than our their uh, senior counterparts. Um, and seniors are much more likely to go to any of the in-person stuff, whether that's be with the recruiters or the on-campus stuff, whether that's uh, the college fairs, open houses, tours, that kind of a thing. So seniors are much more likely to engage in that. Um, the other thing that's, that's, that we found that was pretty fascinating was um, with, with view books, 48% of them, 48% of students still prefer having the hard copy as opposed to 23% want the digital copy. Hmm. Um, and we did see a pretty, we did see a pretty big decrease actually. Uh, 71% of students last year said they looked at view books, whereas this year it was 61%. So that's a 10% decrease. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see if that's a trend that continues of students just not looking at uh, view books. But um, another another really interesting one is that only 32% of students follow a college on social media. Wow. So we see that as a huge opportunity, meaning if, if a student follows you on social media, there's a good chance you're the only one they're following. So if, if uh, universities and colleges can put some budget behind trying to increase their their followers from prospective students, then you're going to be, you're not going to have a lot of noise because there's just not, they're just not following a lot of universities and colleges. So we thought that was really interesting, especially seeing as 50% of students um, are using social media to research schools. 72% of those are using Instagram, um, but yet very few of them are actually following anyone on social media. So why that is, we're not entirely sure. Maybe they don't like the content they're seeing. I don't know, but um, that those are some pretty interesting stats that we've been finding about how they're doing it and where they're looking for for their information. That is very interesting, and um, you know, it, it's I I really do. It'd be awesome for you guys to do some sort of focus group and, and follow up on that because uh, you know schools spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money thinking about how to promote themselves on social and if there was a way in which they could from you know initial search 
blast number one, solicit uh, slash encourage folks to to follow them on social media, make that like really, really, really easy, reduce as much friction as, as possible in that uh, in their ability to do that. Um, sounds like that's key. I'm that's that's I'm, I'm jarred. I, I didn't realize it was only again, based off of your guys' uh, surveying, about 32%. That's that's uh, nothing short of shocking. Um, and I, I wonder, too, if that's because, like, uh, you know, college and university social profiles are not uh, private, and so folks can go follow, you know, look up School X on Instagram, flip through their content, see what they're about without the without needing to actually uh, follow them. I also wonder how much uh, vanity plays into their decision to follow or not to follow, depending on how much they care about their follower to, you know, uh, following ratio. Uh, that would be another interesting survey. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were fascinated by it too. Cause I mean, you know, if you think about a, a student, they, they want to buy a new pair of jeans or something. I, I guarantee you they're following multiple brands on Instagram or, or TikTok or, yeah. or wherever yeah. it may be to, before they make their buying decision, you know, but it's, but something like a like where they're going to go for two or four years of their life, they're not following them on social media. I I find that fascinating. Like I I yeah that that we I, I'm going to take that away because I think that will be a good one to ask during our focus groups about you know why are they not following universities and colleges? That's like I, I think me personally like I would have loved to see what's going on at these different universities and colleges and. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe they're following current students there. Who knows? But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting stat. Yeah, no, I do that survey and uh, do that focus group and and let us know. Uh, let us know what you find. Um, I wanna I wanna mm-hmm. talk a little bit about texting. So one of the questions we get a lot from our listeners, and there's been an uptick in questions around texting. Um, uh, with everything happening right now with, with COVID-19. So what is your research shown with respect to how students feel about texting with colleges and universities? Um, and, and, you know, maybe have you guys done any research around how they feel about being texting, like texting with a current student? Uh, what is sort of the overall perception on using texting as a channel for communications? Sure. So, we, I mean, if you if you look at the white paper numbers, the it's it's pretty clear that um, students prefer to get emailed over texted, but there is there is a big difference between uh, seniors and then sophomores and juniors. Seniors overwhelmingly prefer email, seventy nine percent versus sixty six percent for the younger counterparts. Um, but it's also the reverse for text messages. So thirty four percent of seniors would like to receive texts from universities, whereas 42% of grade 10s and 11s would want to receive texts from universities and colleges. So, you know, we see that as a, an opportunity. These, these younger students, they, like almost half of them would like to get texts from universities and colleges. So we, we see that as a really big opportunity. Um, and then the other interesting story behind the email percentages, we did ask in our focus groups, uh, you know, do you read university college emails? Do you like them, et cetera? And from what we asked in our focus groups, it seems like the students are overwhelmed and inundated with the amount of emails that they get from colleges. And after a certain time, it seems like they just ignore them. <laughs> so we think, I, I mean, personally, I think with marketing, you have, to, you have to go where other people aren't. And text messaging, it's, it's, you know, it's starting to get more popular, but it's still nowhere near as popular and, and commonplace as email. 
And I, I mean, just because we work with, you know, hundreds, not thousands of high school student influencers, uh, it's pretty difficult to, I, I know from our coordinators that deal with the students on a daily basis, they, they find that the best way to get in touch with them is text message by far. Um, so I think it's, I think it's being, you know, respectful of, of their, because te- you know, whatever text they get, they're going to read. It's staggering. It's like 97% of texts are read by, by students that receive them. So I think it's being respectful about the, the text message, but I, I think it's definitely a great avenue to, to start exploring and using, especially amidst COVID for sure. Yeah, it'd be really interesting too to see schools that are trying, you know, different sorts of communications when it comes to texting. I went, uh, we do some like she, uh, secret uh, shopper experiments every once in a while. And so I went and gave like my number to uh, a bunch of schools to see, you know, like when you're inquiring about uh, a program there, uh, included my cell phone number. And for the ones that asked, I said yes to like opt in for text. And I only ended up from, you know, these these 80 schools, I only ended up getting um, about four text messages. Um, and, you know, many of them didn't even didn't have the option to to opt into text. But of those four uh, text messages that I did that I did receive, uh, they were pretty much like a trimmed down version of the email confirmation and the email, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, email number one of their drip sequence that they dropped me in, um, which, you know, I, I get it. It makes sense. But at the same time, like I deleted those emails and I read the text because it's on my phone and I don't like seeing mm-hmm. unread text messages. Right. So I think it's like a, as you're, as you're alluding to, like a, an incredible channel to be really, really creative. Like how do you solicit response from a, a text campaign? Like, what does it look like to be really different in what you're saying, what you're offering, um, via text? Um, uh, I had a one, another school I had started, I had like created a, an application account, but hadn't actually started the application. Um, and it was super easy to create an application account. I just needed my first name, last name, and email. They didn't even ask for my date of birth. And, um, then I got an email saying, hey, you know, start your actual application or excuse me, a text message saying start your app, your actual application. I clicked on that link and it brings me to this super ugly, like not mobile optimized application, which Oof. would be next to impossible to fill out on my on my phone. And so like it's there, you know, there's lots of low hanging fruit here. Like just make sure that whatever content you are communicating uh, with, uh, to students and you are sending them, if you're sending them links, make sure that the links that they're, uh, those links are going to mobile optimized pages at the very least. But I also think like this Mm -hmm. could be a real cool opportunity to throw in some cool content offers, send a video, you know, maybe that's the vehicle through which you encourage people to follow you on social media and they can do so they can follow you on Instagram in a second. Um, so anyways, I'll get off my soapbox, but I, I do think that like texting as, as you're saying is, a, is an important like budding channel. And my hope is that uh, colleges and universities think really creatively here and don't just like exploit this channel. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it'd be a shame if text became like email where they're so inundated with text from colleges and universities that they just ignore it. I, I mean, that's kind of how it works, right? Is like once, once a new platform starts getting starts getting used then everyone jumps on board and then you know people start looking for the next one um so i I hope it doesn't get to that point too but what what i think would actually be really good because like we were talking about earlier uh 60 percent of students or 67 percent of students they want to get information from colleges and universities about dates and deadlines 
Yeah. So I think that could also be a super effective thing is if you just auto have this text message where it's like, Hey, application deadline, don't forget. Or, you know, Hey, here's the, here's the deadline to accept your enrollment, like all that kind of stuff. I think that would be a really effective way to use text messaging. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, for, for anyone listening here, try it out, be creative, let us know what you do and let us know what you find. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The other, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The other one. Yeah. The other one that I well, like after listening to the focus groups too, um, is because Snapchat, Snapchat is pretty much a communication tool. Kids don't go on there to consume content like they would TikTok or, or YouTube. So I would love to see, and I'd love to see some colleges experiment with talking to kids over Snapchat. I think, I think that could also be a really effective way because there's also, I think very few colleges doing that right now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And it will, it'll be like email. It'll be like social. It'll be like every other channel where people that get in early and think critically and creatively, um, will win. And the folks that are like late to the game will be, you know, struggling to, to play catch up. So, um, mm-hmm. super, super interesting, compelling data with th- this sort of is, is a good segue into, um, a question that I had for you about just different messaging types, you know, formats and channels being more influential at different stages in sort of the a student's journey to enrollment. So, you know, anything, I don't know if you guys have covered this in this, in this white paper, um, or if there's just any other sort of data anecdotal or otherwise that you might be able to provide here with respect to how do, you know, do students convert at higher rates on, you know, Instagram versus a pre post inquiry or, you know, post inquiry, but, but pre app start, um, what any interesting insights around kind of like higher conversions that you guys see based off of content type or, or channel type dependent on where a student is at in his or her journey to, to school? Mm-hmm, sure. We, we do in terms of the actual content itself, it's, uh, it, it's pretty crazy how much better performing the content is when it's inspiring. You know, it's, it's, it's a, whether it's a static or video ad, if it's actually inspiring, then the click through rates, everything is just so much higher. And it, it's kind of funny. It's one of those things like, well, how do you know if your content's inspiring or not? You know, we, we always show our clients and, and we, we train our team. We, we always just show, you know, this is the one that performed well. This is the one that didn't. And you can just feel which one is actually inspiring. It's, it's showing the student, like, this is what your life could be. This is how, this is what, uh, you know, coming to our campus, this is what your life could be like at our school, but also this is what your life could be like in your career and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we find that the inspiring content performs super well, much better than, than the stuff that does that is not as inspiring or just, you know, more informational. Um, and then the, the channels that we find perform, uh, really well. I think you were talking about, you know, after they've, uh, applied, but before they start all that kind of stuff, we, we, in our, in our nurturing type campaigns, we've really started moving towards, uh, from the programmatic display side, we, we've been doing a lot of retargeting with programmatic. And then we also have been doing a lot of, uh, lead gen on the social media side. That's where we're finding, uh, the most success, uh, in that stage of the funnel. And then, I mean, in terms of, uh, awareness, uh, right now, especially with, with, uh, schools being closed and everything, we're doing a lot of device ID targeting, which we're seeing, uh, to be quite effective. So we can get all the device IDs that have been at high schools in the past, um, you know, before COVID was closed, we can get a, a sense of the students that were there and then we can take those device IDs and 
serve them up uh, awareness ads right now. And we're seeing, we're, we're seeing a lot of success with that tactic right now too. I love that. That's, that's awesome. And that's, um, you know, I, a great, I guess, a, another segue into my uh, la- second to last question for you, which is just obviously, you know, we're living through this challenging moment. Uh, if you're in higher education right now, uh, lots of folks are, are scared as their departments are being consolidated. Uh, team members are being let go. Uh, hiring has been frozen. In, in many cases, spending has been frozen as as well. Hopefully, you know, come July 1, um, people will have a better sense of like what their budgets are going to be for the next year, et cetera. But uh, I want to kind of put you on the spot here and ask you a question. If you were a, a VP of in, of marketing, of, of enrollment management at a college or university right now, and you were just told that your, uh, your marketing spend budget was going to be cut in half, uh, how would mm-hmm. you think about devising a strategic marketing plan, what would it look like to uh, spend the resources you do have, albeit limited, um, in order to sort of like move the needle? And how would you sort of measure whether or not this, you know, a sizable reduction in spend was actually successful? Like, in other words, how would you measure the ROI? What would you do? And how would you measure the ROI of your efforts? Mm -hmm, Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because we're also, you know, we're dealing with the same thing internally at our company. And uh, as I'm sure of like every sure. company, every college, every university, every every group right now is dealing with with it by and large. Uh, and I think I think mindset is also just I think I think everything does start with mindset, which is basically how do you, how do you how someone perceives this situation. And we I knew early on that, you know, this this is a great opportunity, I think, for us as as our, our company, individual Glacier. I I you know when we had uh, a big team gathering about when COVID first went started going down, and I gave a speech to the team and I said, this uh, you know in the words of Winston Churchill, I really do believe this is going to be our finest hour. Yeah. Because it is the greatest it is the the greatest triumphs come at the hands of the greatest challenge, and so I just look at this as a, like what a gift to be in a position of leadership to go through a crisis like this, like, like these don't come around very often. So the fact that we're on the playing field when this is going down, I just think is such a cool opportunity and such a cool challenge. Um, so I think, I think it all starts with mindset and having that mindset of, you know, this, like those that get through this are going to get through this stronger. And so it's, it's getting to that mindset of how can we be the ones that get out of this crisis stronger, uh, than the ones that are probably going to, you know, fall off and not make it. So I think it starts with that. And I mean, if, if I was a VP or, or marketing at a college or university, I think the first thing I'd probably try to do is really lobby hard to not get the budget reduced. I know like, obviously we're already there, but this, like at our company, you know, we, we have not cut our marketing budget or anything like that. We're, we're putting our money where our mouth is. We're actually, we've actually increased our, our spend in terms of our, our growth budget. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I think if you look at all the reports and the research on who does well during a crisis and after a crisis, it's a lot of the ones that invest in marketing and spending because you know marketing is such an easy thing to slash yep. from the you know the senior leadership's perspective. But and because of that happening, there's just less people spending on marketing and advertising right now, and so therefore there's less crowd in the market, and you can get more bang for your buck because there's just less people doing it. So first and foremost, I'd probably try to lobby to not get the budget cut and to try to actually maybe get it increased because 
this is a great time to be in the market. Not only that, kids are on their phones for an insane amount of time right now, yeah, like insane. Yeah. Uh, in all the focus groups, like the data, the research we've been doing, uh, and in the focus groups, you know, the, the lowest number that we've seen of kids being on a phone, and that's not even including their laptops and stuff for school, is probably about five or six hours. Uh, it goes all the way up to one of the one of the uh, young women on the in the focus group. She she's on her phone for fourteen hours a day, and that's on average. So, wow. so some days it's probably more. Wow. So it's just like it's it's just you know there's less people spending on marketing and advertising. Kids are on their phones all the time. So I see this as a huge opportunity to be there to be in front of them. Um, and so I think I think it's also time to get creative and get scrappy. Uh, look for those things that are going to be the biggest bang for your buck. Um, and, and I think that comes from doing what no one else is doing. Uh, it's, it's that creative stuff. You know, we talked earlier, uh, about messaging with text, with like text messages or sending messages via Snapchat. I think there's a lot of opportunity with those. Um, another thing that we actually didn't talk about, but, um, the, another crazy stat is the, the people that students, high school students trust the most are actually your current students. They trust them even more than their own parents. They trust them more than their own guidance counselors. Um, so your current students are the ones that your prospective students trust the most. So if you can figure out a way to harness that, whether it be, you know, hiring them as ambassadors, we actually, we have a part of our influencer product is we, we use current university students uh, to create content. We boost it back to high school students. You know, it's like getting creative with that, uh, we think is, is, is going to make a difference. Um, or even something that we've seen a lot of success with is doing TikTok contests uh, with your current students. And you can do something like, you know, for every repost that your current students do, uh, 10 cents, you're going to go to a cause or something like that. Because, I mean, the other thing about high school students is they care more about the environment and the world than any other generation before. Uh, when looking at careers and, 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 and what they want to work on, the highest factor, 29%, is the impact that it's going to have on the world. Like that's what they care about. It's just, it's an inspiring generation. So we think, we think doing something like that, like a TikTok contest or, or those kinds of, you know, creative scrappy things um, are going to be, are going to be really what sets people apart. And in terms of, you know, where to spend, I know it can be, it can be appealing and it can be tempting to spend more on the bottom of the funnel activities, you know, like your search engine marketing, your conversion stuff. But we find that people that and, and organizations that do that, their cost per clicks end up going through the roof because they haven't done the work in the top of the funnel to create the awareness to create the uh, engagement so that people actually want to click on your stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so it can be tempting because, you know, that's what upper level leadership they really look for is, Oh, how many conversions are we getting? But it's, it's important to not stop doing the, the top and mid funnel work or else your bottom funnel stuff becomes way less effective. Um, and then in terms of in terms of measurement, I mean, I, I don't think I'd really change much. I, I'd keep looking at the the cost per thousand, the cost per engagement, cost per cost per uh, acquisition or action. I, I just keep looking at those and and you know throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks, and and uh, yeah, test stuff cheaply and fast. That's probably what I would do. Matt, thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's been it's been awesome. You have you're full of uh, great insights. Final question for you: uh, Any just last one, two, three kind of quick takeaways that that you hope that people will will walk away with uh, after listening to today's conversation? 
sure. Yeah. I think, I think three, I'd probably say three takeaways. Uh, number one, the colleges that are going to be great at TikTok, I think are going to win in the future. Colleges that can figure out how to leverage the, the content and the influence of their existing students, I think are going to win. And lastly, I'd say the, really the only effective traditional ad medium is, is ads on walls in high schools or posters, the only effective traditional medium. Fantastic. Concise, impactful, powerful, to the point. Love it. Uh, thank you, sir, for, for your time. Um, if folks want to follow up with, uh, with you, follow you, connect with you, learn more about Glacier, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. They can, they can check out our website on www.weareglacier.org or you can send me, a, you can send me an email at matt.diddlejan at weareglacier.org. Um, or they can give me a call as well, 403-542-9853. Fantastic. And we will include your contact information in the show notes, so it'll be easier for folks. Uh, thanks for your time, man. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk more later. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Zach. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there. Hey guys, Zach here. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just one final reminder. Uh, if you're free and you need some content to uh, entertain you during your lunch hour, head on over to element451.com forward slash enrollify and sign up for their webinar, which is today, June 18th on tracking enrollment anomalies. Uh, again, even if you're busy during this time, just sign up and they will send you a recorded version of the webinar. It's going to be great. Thanks guys.